Hello, my name's Lindsay Turnbull and I teach biology at the University of Oxford. In this video, I want to show you why nearly all species reproduce sexually. It's actually a huge puzzle for biologists and it forms the core chapter three of my book, Biology, the whole story. In 1928, the legendary songwriter Cole Porter penned some famous lyrics. He wrote, birds do it, bees do it, even educated fleas do it. Let's do it, let's fall in love. Well, I hate to be the party pooper, but I don't think bees or fleas are capable of a complex emotion like love. Instead, what Cole Porter was really talking about was sex. That is what is shared by all multicellular organisms. Let's think for a minute about how any organism reproduces. For single-celled organisms, reproducing is very simple. All it has to do is copy the genome, double up the ribosomes, make a bunch of proteins, and then it can simply split itself into two cells, making sure that each one has a copy of the genome and all the bits it needs. But as a multicellular being, you can't just carve yourself in two. Instead, most multicellular organisms set aside a group of cells and they're going to be responsible for creating the next generation and the rest of the cells in your body, I'm afraid, are just doomed to die when you do. When individuals reach adulthood, those special cells spring into action and they start to produce sex cells or gametes. Now these come in two forms. There are egg cells, which are large and immobile, and there are sperm cells, which are much smaller, but can swim actively. But whichever type they are, there's something very unusual about sex cells. And that's because they only contain half of the normal genome. Now the genome in our bodies and in those of all multicellular creatures is actually a double act. So you have two copies of this crucially important instruction manual. And when gametes are formed, they're only given half of it, one copy of the instruction manual. And that's not enough to build a new organism. So each sex cell has to go out and find another sex cell and only then will they have enough ge genetic material to start a new organism. Let's take a look at some fish who've heard the song of Cole Porter. They're in a stream somewhere and they've chosen a nice location which will be a good place for the young fish to grow up. And the adults are gathering and there's a bit of a frenzy going on. And then at some point the females start to release their egg cells into the water and the males will respond by producing clouds of sperm. And then the adults will simply disappear and take no more interest in the small developing fish. Now, at the point the adults disappear, the egg cells and sperm cells still have some unfinished business. So if we look into the water, we can see what's happening. The egg cells, which are huge, are rather few and far between. And then there are very large numbers of sperm cells gathering around them. And the sperm cells are trying to enter the egg. And there's a bit of a race going on because only one sperm cell can enter each egg cell. As soon as it has done, the egg cell membrane will harden and prevent any other sperm from entering. And as the sperm cell pushes through the cell membrane of the egg, it will push its half genome inside. And now the egg cell has two halves of a genome. That means it's got all the genetic material it needs so that it can start to divide and become a new fish. And this moment called fertilization is a crucial step on the pathway that any organism takes from starting life as a single cell to ending up as a large multicellular being. So let's just recap what sexual reproduction is actually about. 
Multicellular organisms produce sex cells that only contain half of the genetic material that they actually need. Then they have to go out and find another sex cell, and by joining together in this process of fertilization, they can restore the genetic material that they need. So you really have to ask yourself, what is the point of it? So the problem that biologists face is that there is an obvious cost to sex, and we can see that if we consider a fish who is asexual. So let's imagine that this fish produces egg cells in a different way. She just gives each egg cell an entire copy of her genome. That means that the egg cells can start dividing straight away and form new fish. They don't need to be fertilized by another sex cell. And when those fish mature, they'll all be female, and they can all immediately start laying eggs of their own. So this population is going to increase really quickly. Now, if we compare that to the normal sexual fish and see what she's doing, she's going to give each of the egg cells half of her genome, and then they're going to be fertilized by uh, sperm cells, which came from males, and that means half of her offspring are going to be male. And the males don't have offspring of their own; they're just used to fertilize the egg cells from the females. So her population is not going to grow nearly as fast. And this is what biologists refer to as the cost of sex. It appears that an asexual female could easily outcompete a sexual female because she can just grow her population much faster. So we have to ask ourselves: If sex has such a massive cost, why bother with it? Well, first, actually, not all species do. There are a few lizard species, a snake species, and some unusual small microscopic creatures called rotifers that live in ponds that don't. They just consist of all female populations that reproduce asexually. But what's interesting about all of those creatures is that they've only appeared in the last million years or so. Now you might think, well, that's a very long time, but not really. Animal life has been on the planet for 450 million years, and there are no asexual lineages that date back that far. So there must be some long-term advantage to sex. What might it be? Well, let's look again at the offspring of those different females. So the asexual female, we said, hands each of her egg cells a complete copy of her own genome. That's why they're all female. It also means they're going to be genetically identical to her and to each other. The sexual female is different, though. She's given each of her egg cells a random half of her own genome, and now they're going to go off and merge with a sperm cell that could have come from all sorts of different males. So they're all going to get slightly different genetic material from the male, and so each of her offspring are going to be quite different. And you probably notice if you have siblings that they're not genetically identical to you, unless you're an identical twin. And we think it's this genetic variation that's so crucial because we know that the environment can change. Think about the peppered moth. For the asexual female, she's having to bet that if she's done well, then the environment won't change, and her offspring, which are just like her, will also prosper. But for the sexual female, she's kind of hedging her bets. She's producing different kinds of offspring, so if the environment changes, hopefully one of them at least will be well adapted to it. And you might think, but does the environment really change that fast? Well, the physical environment might not, but a crucial part of any species' environment is other species. They have to worry about predators, competitors, and crucially, parasites. 
Now, parasites get into the bodies of organisms and they start taking resources. And very often they're small things like bacteria with fast generation times, which means they can evolve pretty quickly. So multicellular creatures have got to be nimble if they're going to stay ahead in that race. And it seems that sex is crucially important in doing that. Well, irrespective of the costs and benefits of sex, sexual reproduction has had profound consequences for life on our planet. Individuals that belong to the same species can exchange genetic information via sexual reproduction. When they produce sex cells, they are able to combine with the sex cells from other individuals. And that means that members of the same species kind of take part in a shared common genome, but they don't share genetic information with individuals belonging to other species. They're reproductively isolated from them. And that's actually one of the commonest definitions of a species. We say that individuals belong to the same species if in theory they can have sex with each other and produce fertile offspring. Now, this isolation is important because it means that each species can evolve independently and follow its own evolutionary trajectory. And it's only by doing that that we can build this incredible diversity of life that we have on our planet. If we also compare the genomes of different species, we can find out how similar or different they are. And we use a technique called genome sequencing. And we can use that technique to build family trees of different species. Here's one, for example, for the great apes. Now, for the great apes, there are only four species. There's the orangutan, the gorilla, there's us, modern humans, and there's chimpanzees. And by comparing the genomes, we know how closely related those different species are to each other. So we know, for example, that humans and chimps are most similar. Their genomes are very similar indeed. And that's because they last shared a common ancestor about 5.5 million years ago. But humans and chimps collectively last shared a common ancestor with gorillas about 8 to 10 million years ago. So the genome of gorillas is more different to that of humans or chimps than the human-chimp genomes are to each other. And if we go further back in time to about 14 million years ago, then that's when the orangutans branched off. So prior to about 14 million years ago, there was only, there was only that one species of great ape that eventually gave rise to all four. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's video, and if you did and you found it useful, then please do share. There's a lot more depth and detail in chapter three of my book, and you can find a link to it below. There's also extra information, of course, about why males and females look different in some species and not in others, and how sex is determined in different species. Uh, if you'd like to watch the next video, then there's one coming soon on chapter four, which is all about energy.